mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of the Silicon Theory Podcast. As always, I am your host and moderator, Sean, and with me is Sean P., my partner in crime. Say hello, Sean. Guys, it's good to be back. We're going to talk uh, a little bit about the August rumor roundup for some upcoming devices, but we also wanted to touch real briefly and follow up on a phone that we both recently had a chance to get some hands-on time with, as well as its mods, and that should probably give you a clue that we're talking about the Moto Z. Um, I happened to be at a Verizon store not that long ago and got a chance to spend a little bit of time with the Moto Z and the Moto Z Force Droid Editions, as well as a couple of different mods, and I know that uh, Sean P. has done the same. So I'll start with you, Sean. Tell me a little bit about what you thought about the Moto Z devices, and, and then talk a little bit about the mods, too. So the devices themselves are really nice. When you get them in hand, the, the smaller the Moto Z is so thin, it's almost insane. It feels breakable almost, except for it's actually very sturdy, but it's it's thin, like ridiculously so, when you pick it up. Um, the Moto Z Force is still thin, but noticeably thicker compared to the normal Moto Z. Um, from a material standpoint, they're nice, they're metal. Uh, they're fingerprint magnets on the back, but they look pretty good to me. They have that giant minion eye-looking camera module that definitely protrudes out and is pretty big and noticeable, but otherwise the design's pretty nice. The The fingerprint scanner square on the front of it still looks awkward. The phone has a big chin. I feel like for this phone, and they couldn't do it, I guess, because of the Moto mods, but... The fingerprint scanner on the back would have made more sense here because this is one of those things where it's like if you have capacitive buttons on the front so that you can use more of the screen then you should put the fingerprint scanner there but if you don't and you have capacitive buttons on the screen or you have excuse me on screen buttons now it's taking up screen real estate and you have to have this giant chin to accommodate the fingerprint scanner so that's the only design element that's a little bit maybe not the best for me from the front of the device but overall they're really nice the screens our Motorola screens in the past have ranged from mediocre to poor, but these screens actually look pretty good to my eyes. I don't know if you thought the same thing. They they're AMOLEDs and they're two you know twenty five sixty by fourteen forty and they look good. I thought they got nice and bright. I thought the same thing. I thought in general that um, they they were pretty nice looking and pretty nice feeling phones. Uh, the Moto Z was definitely so thin. I gave strong consideration to shaving with it. Um, the Moto Z Force with the shatter shield display uh, looked nice. I was a little bit concerned about the the plastic substrate in the display, but it didn't seem to impact it any. And um, aside from the you know Moto 360, they slapped to the back and called it a camera module. Um, they were pretty good looking. I, I was really pleasantly surprised. I was ready to bash on them. And, um, and when I got them in hand, I was, I was really intrigued by the design, the, the fingerprint scanner on the front, the little weird looking square thing is, is hideous. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's just bad. But, um, again, with the, don't, motor, don't pull any punches, man. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, anybody who <laughs> wants to look and see this phone, by the way, if you're not near a Verizon store, um, Verizon has a really funny commercial right now that they're advertising with, um, Selena Gomez. And they're advertising 
using a Galaxy phone, I believe, uh, and the phone that's being used in the commercial to play the music is actually the Moto Z. And if you pause the commercial where the guy's holding the phone with Selena Gomez's um, latest song on there, you you can actually see on the on screen that it actually says Moto on the phone. And I first saw that commercial and I saw the little square fingerprint scanner and I'm like, that's funny, that looks like a Moto Z to me. And so, of course, being the tech nerd that I am, I reround the commercial and paused it enough times till I could finally confirm that it was, in fact, the Moto Z. So, good on you, Verizon, for advertising a phone uh, that's not even in your commercial. Uh, I digress. The um, Moto Mods were very interesting, actually. I got a chance to play a little bit with the JBL speaker as well as the uh, little projector-looking guy. Uh, both of them were the demo units in the store, so they'd been handled quite a bit and were not probably as good looking and or sturdy as they would be out of the box. The only one that I actually thought was kind of worth uh, any kind of a second look was the JBL speaker. It's kind of neat to think about turning your phone into uh, a mobile boom box uh, wherever you go. Uh, a lot of people have, um, including myself, external Bluetooth speakers that they use for that kind of purpose. But if you had the mod slapped onto the back of it and you were going somewhere and you just, you're going to the beach and you're like, hey man, we need some tunes for the next couple of hours. You just pop out the little kickstand and start pumping out some good wattage out of your phone and, and can stream whatever you, kind of music you have uh, to it, and it sounds decent. Uh, the projector did not work very well and uh, is not very good, quite honestly, so uh, I can't think of anything else to say about the mods other than the fact that they might just be more for gimmicks purposes. Um, although I did notice, uh, and I think Sean P and I had a little bit of this conversation uh, before coming on air, the weird uh, camera protrusion on the back of both of those devices is designed specifically so that it can be used with mods. So I don't know if I necessarily want to buy a phone where I have to buy a mod to get the camera module to sit flush. That's just kind of weird to me, but that's uh, that's kind of where I was at with the mods. What did you think? So I played with the style swap mod, the battery case mod, and the projector mod. So the only one I didn't they didn't have was the JBL speaker mod, I think. So here's the deal. The mods are actually like really well done. They snap on and off. They are, they are held firmly in place. They're kind of seamless as far as once you snap them on, they just kind of work. I would agree with you. I think the camera module, it, so like if you put a swile, uh, excuse me, style swap cover on the back, it makes the phone like noticeably thicker, but now everything's flush and it's kind of like, well, why do that? It doesn't make a ton of sense because you've made this ultra thin phone and now you have to put something on there in order to make things flush and make it more comfortable. Um, I think, you know, when we were discussing this earlier, my basic feeling on it is this. Motorola really, really eloquently solved a quote-unquote problem that I don't believe that anyone actually had. So what I mean by that is this whole modular smartphone idea. So Project Aura, we've been talking about this for years now, still not out. Um, LG comes out with the G5 and its little friends, and it's their implementation is not good. When you pop the bottom of that phone out, it turns off one right off the bat. And it's kind of a pain in the butt, and I've still yet to see any friend that I would care at all about. So there was, and there's a bunch of downsides. You have a phone that has this like latch that you can undo and the, the fit and finish is not always there. And so it, the battery capacity is a little bit smaller. So LG comes out first and I kind of look at it and I go, okay, like at least they're trying something different, but I think it's a miss. We called it like a beta version of this. Now Motorola's is not a beta version. This is a well fleshed out idea and premise that they brought to the market and I give them a ton of credit for doing it. I just don't think it has that much utility for most people. Like, do people really want a projector? Who wants a projector? Like, maybe businessmen? And then 
the battery case. Okay, cool. It's cool that you can snap a battery case on there. But the reason you need to is because they made this phone so thin. The Moto Z has a 2600 milliamp hour battery, and you guessed it, the battery life sucks. So it's like, oh, we have this battery case that you can buy, and you can snap it on there, and your battery life will be a lot better, but you're paying for that. The phone's a lot thicker, and why? Why not just make the phone, you know, with a bigger battery to begin with? I give them a lot of credit. It's executed very, very well. The phones are very, very nice. For this kind of design, I don't know if you could do it much better than they did it as far as the swappable back idea. I just don't think people care. The other problem is this. Motorola was supposedly going to release less expensive phones. That was what first was rumored. So that you would then buy these things and it would still be equivalent or less than what you would pay for a normal flagship. That's not the case at all. The Moto Z Force, the high-end one, is well over $700. And the other one's high sixes. So, I mean, you're talking about phones that are... They're Galaxy S money. And when you put them side by side, it's like, why would I buy this over a Galaxy S? And I can't come up with a compelling reason. The most compelling reason is the shatterproof screen on the Moto Z Force. That is actually a kick-butt feature. You cannot break that screen. I mean, you can scratch it because it's using plastic, but you never have to worry about shattering your screen. That's pretty freaking cool. Everything else, though, they spent a lot of time, R&D, effort on this idea that I just don't think that many people care about. And that's not even taking into account, too. The mods themselves are expensive. So I just don't know who the market is. Again, it's one of those things where I feel like we're the people that are willing to spend a lot of money on smartphones. I would never buy one of those and buy mods and swap them on there. So if I, as kind of a quote-unquote enthusiast, wouldn't do it, then your average customer, there's no way they're going to. Who's the market? I don't see it either, um, and we talked a little bit about this uh, a while ago too. I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that Moto solved a problem that nobody had. Uh, you know, you talked a little bit about who might use a projector. Businessmen, businessmen are probably going to use their laptop and an actual dedicated projector to do any business work with. Uh, the style swap covers are great, but nobody's going to pay thirty bucks for an accessory that you probably don't really need to begin with, and probably wouldn't be swapping that often anyways. Um, the external battery pack, it's like if I got to buy an external battery pack, if I got to spend more money to get my phone to last as long as it probably should have to begin with, then Moto's doing something wrong. The R&D, uh, like you've said as well, I think was, was spot on. This is definitely a better implementation than LG's, uh, much more practical at least, if nothing else. But the end result is, is that um, a lot of people are uh, not as enthused about this product as probably Motorola was hoping they would be. And maybe that's kind of where we, we leave it at with <laughs> Motorola and the Moto Z and Z Force. By the way, also carrier exclusive. Mm. It's still, it's a Verizon carrier exclusive. Like, carrier exclusives are where they belong in the past because they're a horrible idea. The only carrier exclusive I can think that's left besides this one is the Galaxy S active version every year is only on AT&T, which is equally stupid. But they announced the phone. It took months to actually come out. Now it's a carrier exclusive on Verizon. There's some vague promises that there will be an unlocked GSM version at some point, but they already took what was a, probably a small market and then reduced it down to one carrier. It's like brilliant, guys. And anybody who wants to get our impressions of what we think about Verizon, carrier exclusives and otherwise, uh, go back and check out ep episode six of the Silicon Theory podcast. Uh, I'm sure you'll get an earful about Verizon and how we feel about them. Here's a hint. We don't like them very much. Um, so that's basically the last of the hands-on pieces. Let's talk a little bit about the rumor roundup and some of the phones that have yet to be announced. Uh, and speaking of LG, let's talk about the V20. 
I uh, believe the schedule is uh, set for early September release and they are touting a lot of things including that it will be the first phone to run Android 7.0 Nougat right out of the box. A supposed render leaked onto the internet uh, last week if I remember correctly and uh, was being bandied about um, and a lot of people were trying to compare it to the V10 because this is the phone that that's replacing uh, and to me it looks a lot more like it's a higher end G5. Once you saw the renders, what did you think, Sean? So I'm kind of in the minority on this. I actually like them. So last year, the V10 is a little bit of kind of history here. came out of nowhere. LG in the past had made phablet-sized phones, but none of them had really come to the U.S. market except for one on AT&T like years and years ago, like 2013 type era. So this kind of came out of nowhere, and it was kind of a cool phone. It had this Duraguard rubberized back with this beefy metal frame. Um, it met like the Army shock you know, absorbent test. I don't even know what it's called. Um, it had a 5.7 inch LCD and then it had this little tiny ticker LCD at the top that you could use for shortcuts or messages or a variety of other things. Then it had dual facing selfie cameras, one of which was like a wide angle. Uh, still had a removable battery SD card slot. It was only 3000 milliamp hour battery, but SD card slot, the whole nine yards. And it was actually a pretty popular phone. I, I know people who have it and it's, it's, it's a big phone, but it's pretty neat. So people were expecting, I think, for the V20 to continue down that line. Based off of the leak that we saw, that's not gonna be the case. It looks like a big G5. Better looking though, it's a better looking G5. I think the lines are better, and I think the proportions are better, but it has a single front-facing camera, a still a 5.7 inch screen with a ticker, and then on the back it has the dual cameras, same as the G5, so there's a wide angle and then a, a more normal angle camera. Rumors are the primary camera might bump up to 21 megapixels on this one. Um, and then removable battery still, and I've seen 4,000 milliamp hours being tossed about again now. It's probable we may be disappointed, just like we were with the Note 7, it ends up being a smaller capacity, but overall, like, I really like, I actually like the way the phone looks. The render we saw, though, was just that, it's a render. So it was based off of design schematics, so the actual shape and everything's correct, but the texture and color and everything they chose is really nice looking, I actually really like it. So, I mean, to me, this would be a phone that would be on my radar, certainly. Um, if you need a removable battery, it's basically the only game in town. The V10 was a nice phone. The G5, I think people would think is kind of a whiff. I like the way it looks, but I'm kind of cautious about it just because if it really is just a bigger G5, it may not end up being quite as great as we would want. My fear is that that's exactly the case, in fact. Um, and, and I can think of a lot of reasons why that might be. Um, and just to kind of circle back to something that you said uh, earlier, I, I actually gave the V10 a lot of thought when I was looking at getting new phones last year because of how cool it looks, how sturdy and durable it felt in hand, and it really had a nice display. The The secondary display was kind of a gimmick, but you know, you've got to try and find a way to make yourself stand out in a, in a very crowded market, and you know, I think LG did some good things with the V10 last year. Thinking about it from a practical standpoint, I probably find myself, along with the majority of the internets, in thinking that the V20 is, is LG is trying to home run bet on modularity, or at least their concept of modularity. And we've already talked about how we feel like Motorola really got this right. Well, I don't think LG got it very right at all. 
Um, and the renders do look like it's designed to have that kind of uh, pistol magazine trigger release for the battery and you should be able to or potentially could be able to bring LG's friends onto the V20. Uh, again, in a vacuum, I don't think it looks terrible. Uh, the design is, is clean and looks interesting. You know, it's reminiscent of, uh, you know, the OnePlus 3 and the HTC 10, both of which are really good looking, well designed phones. But if it really is LG putting all of their eggs in the modularity basket, I think they moved too far away from the V10, um, which kind of had its place as a very, you know, rugged, almost, uh, you know, Galaxy S active type of device where it could kind of maybe take a beating and, and keep on going. And I think there's a lot of people that like that, especially when you combine it with the ability to have a removable battery and an SD card slot. There's a lot of things that, you know, people who are out in the field would like about this phone uh, that probably wouldn't like the same kinds of things about the V20 if the rumors pan out. Now, again, rumors, renders, we don't know anything for sure. Uh, the most famous example of a rumor not coming true is the uh, Nexus 6P and its visor. People hated it. They thought it was going to protrude something in the neighborhood of an inch and a half from the back of the <laughs> phone. And it turned out to not be the case. And the 6P is a great phone and everybody should buy it. I have. And, uh, you know, the renders were not very flattering. So the finished product uh, probably will look a little bit different than what the uh, renders do. Uh, that may be great for LG. That may not be very good for LG. I guess we'll have to wait and see. It, this phone still has a lot going for it though I'm telling you it, it may not be as rugged and that's a big deal but the only removable battery in town and it may be a large capacity one the dual cameras on the G5 are pretty neat the wide angle thing is it's definitely a useful thing um, it's the only phone left with an IR blaster which some people like um, SD card slot Snapdragon 820 4GB of RAM I mean it's it's very much on par with the other flagships and adds some extra things and I don't know I'm keeping my eye open I, I'm afraid after the G5 that I'll probably be disappointed, but I like the render and I like the V10, so here's hoping. Pricing may be uh, the biggest concern for how well the V20 does if it's in, you know, S7 Edge Note 7 territory. Probably not going to do real well because you should absolutely buy either of these two phones uh, over the V20. Um, unless the removable battery is absolutely a deal breaker for you. Uh, if, uh, and we talked a little bit about this off air, you know, the V10 initially was launched around 599 If the V20 comes out around about that same price point and has maybe a couple of extra little goodies thrown in for the package, uh, it could very well be a good value. And especially if you're looking for something in the way of a larger style display, um, could be something to consider, could not. But I, I don't think that anybody who's interested in, in mods or modular phones, uh, is probably going to give this uh, a, a really deep dive, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Let's uh, let's move on to iPhone Seven stuff. What do we got about the uh, what do we got about the announcement and release dates? What's uh, what's going on with those things? So we already did kind of a rumor roundup uh, on the iPhone Seven, and it's it's not expected to be a big change this year. Um, the big change is supposed to be next year, and there's a lot of rumors going around that Apple's going to stay on the same basic design for three generations now instead of two. So we're expecting a phone that looks very much like the iPhone 7. Uh, there was a lot of rumors there was going to be three variants. There was going to be the normal, the uh, plus, and then there was going to be this like pro variant. But the recent rumors are that Apple has consolidated back down to two, so there's going to be two phones. So we're going to get the iPhone 7, which is going to be a five, the 4.0, 
what four point seven inch screen. Um, and we're gonna get the um, the larger one, which probably will still be called Plus. It sounds like, but uh, five point five inch. The larger one has dual cameras on the back, um, and the smaller one has a single but much larger camera protrusion. So, I think the idea here is it may have OIS. Right now, only the Plus has optical image stabilization. The um, lower end one just has uh, basically it's done in software. There is no actual optical image stabilization for the lower end one, so they're going to add that in. Other than that, though, you're looking at like you know the upgraded processor A10 and the normal upgrades, but nothing nothing huge. Um, there's some rumors that they're going to get rid of the home button being a physical button that is, it'll be a capacitive style button, and they may use some kind of haptic feedback in order to make it feel like you're pushing it. So we'll see. I mean, it's not going to be... Everyone's saying the analysts, et cetera, this year that it's kind of going to be a down year for them. Sales are already down a little bit, um, two quarters in a row, quarter over quarter, and they expect that this will not be necessarily a huge hit, but it's still an iPhone, so it'll sell a lot. And as far as dates are concerned, it looks like the announcement date may be September 7th with a release date on September 16th. So once it actually gets released, we'll do a, probably a podcast that night and discuss what we actually saw. Maybe they'll do something more interesting than what it looks like. But I think that this has been a pretty thoroughly leaked device at this point. I think we know most of what we're going to see. They're bringing back a black version, which they haven't done, I think, since the iPhone 5, I want to say. So... I mean, that's something. It's a new color. Uh, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be a very iterative update, I think. And um, it'll still sell because it's an iPhone, and we'll know more within a month. It should be... I mean, we're talking about basically being released about a month from now, so we're, we're close. Yeah, almost to the day. The um, the things of interest to me, obviously, were the um, the home button, home button, excuse me, potentially being capacitive. Um, that's kind of a neat technology they've incorporated into their uh, MacBook Pro and, and MacBook line for a little while now. The haptic feedback works uh, great. Uh, the average user would not be able to tell the difference between something that's physically clicking and this actual uh, style of feedback. Feedback. It also gives them the ability to bring in some new um, software features, the force touch or the peak and pop in the iPhone thing, which is currently only being used in the display technology. So um, those are all kind of cool things. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the larger iPhone uh, does two things. One, its initial uh, highest end storage capacity at 128 gigs or potentially even larger. Uh, we'll start at over $1,000 because that would be a new record for a mobile smartphone. And if anybody can get away with it, it's definitely Apple. And I hope that it's called the iPhone 7 Plus Pro uh, because that would be insanely hard to say and probably sounds right in line with what Apple's going to probably do anyways. Uh, and potentially, if we can find a way to get a Droid Edition, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> I can't think of anything else that's already been covered that uh, we haven't already talked about, but if anything else leaks, we'll be sure to uh, roll it up in the iPhone 7 pod that will discuss the actual specs of the device once it's announced. Uh, one thing is absolutely certain to be announced, uh, that it will be revolutionary, uh, never before seen, and potentially could change the world and save all of humanity. Uh, although they've been saying that about every iPhone, so we'll have to see if that pans out. Uh, hint, probably won't. Uh, let's Come on, man. Black iPhone. Yeah. Black iPhone. I'm in. I'm all in. That's worth 100 million sales right there. Let me tell you something about 100 million sales. If the freaking base storage is 16 gigs again, 
I will dedicate a solo pod uh, in my bathroom so that I don't disturb my wife, uh, ranting and raving about why that storage option needs to go the way of the Dodo, seriously. Uh, especially at the premium that Apple charges for their phones. It's outrageous. Um, anything else on the iPhone before we move on to the long-awaited Nexus rumors? Let's, let's move on to Nexus. So normally I tend to think uh, about Nexus phones as being kind of the holy grail for Android devices. Uh, I've owned the Galaxy Nexus, the Nexus 6P now, and they're kind of hit or miss, but in terms of what Google's vision for Android should be, the Nexus doesn't get any better than that. You normally, when I believe, in fact, uh, after purchasing the phone, I may be contractually obligated to say Nexus every time I say the word Nexus. Not 100% sure on that, but that's how I think of it in my mind because they're such magnificent representations of what Android should be. All right, so... I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you. Wait, what? I've had three Nexus devices, and one of them I would recommend. I had the Nexus 7 2012 tablet, which was great for the first six months until the horrible flash memory that Google saw fit to put in there rendered it so slow as to be useless. I own a Nexus 7 2013 tablet, which has been a great device, fantastic, highly recommended. And then I owned a Nexus 6 phone, and I hated it. The screen was so yellow and dingy, it looked like it had just been dipped in the Rio water. Um, it was just awful. I hated that phone. I actually had to send one back because I got a dead pixel. It was the worst phone I've ever owned. So, I've seen you have the good experience, and I know Nexus is like this like godlike thing that everyone wants because it's a Nexus, and that was myself included with the Nexus 6, but literally I'm batting 33% on Nexus devices so far. I don't quite get the hype, but this year's look good, so let's let's... Let's move forward. It's probably because the Nexus is so powerful that it's beyond your ability to comprehend. Uh, although I do give you props for the awesome uh, real water reference. So the uh, two Nexuses that are supposedly going to be launched by ATC, uh, excuse me, HTC a little bit later on, codenamed Sailfish and Marlin. What do we what do we think we know about both of these devices right now? So we actually know quite a lot thanks to Android Police, and I want to give them a shout-out. We're not affiliated, but their reporting on the Nexus devices has been fantastic. Um, there's a lot of crap that gets thrown about Nexus season. People write crap articles with just junk in it. Android Police has done a fantastic job of covering it. Their articles are very factual, and uh, you can tell like they take it personally. They've been offended at some of the crap articles, so shout-out to them. They've done a great job of covering the Nexus. So Good on you, AP. Because of them, we know quite a lot. So we're looking at two devices, the smaller of which is the Sailfish, the larger of which is Marlin, and they're both HTC devices. Um, and really, they're very similar, right? So last year, the Nexus 6P was the premium device. That's what the P stood for. The 5X was more of the budget device. And a lot of people were, I don't want to say upset, but they were bummed out that they had to buy a really large phone to get the nice one. There was definitely demand for a smaller premium Nexus. So this year, based on what, based on what Android Police is saying, they are identical. So we're looking at metal and glass designs on the back. Um, and basically, it's kind of like the top 40% of, of the phone on the back is glass, a glass window, and then the, the rest of it's metal. Um, it's flat, so no camera protrusion. Um, on the front, we're looking at a 5-inch AMOLED 1080p screen on Sailfish, and then a 1440p 5.5-inch 5 .5 AMOLED on Marlin. 
Um, as far as camera, we're looking at the 12 megapixel unit from the, basically the same sensor it looks like, or a slightly upgraded version, but with optical image stabilization. So considering how great the cameras were on the Nexus last year with OIS, I mean, that's a substantial upgrade, so that's great. Um, battery capacity, we're looking at 2770 milliamp hours in the Sailfish, we're looking at 3450 in the Marlin, um, and then you're getting the, the typical goodies. So, Snapdragon 820s have been, have been showing up in benchmarks. Android police seems to think we'll actually get an S821 at release. Four gigabyte of RAM. Um, the base model Sailfish looks like it's 32 gigabytes. And then the Marlin, it's it's unclear. It looks like there may be a 32 base, but then it might jump up to 128 at the next tier. So we're not quite sure what we're getting there. That seemed to be a little bit of an unknown. Um, fingerprint scanner on the back. That pretty well covers it, right? I think that's the, the major uh, selling point. So let's talk a little bit about what this might mean. Uh, again, Google partners with different OEMs for the Nexus program. Uh, last year was LG for the 5X and Huawei for the 6P. Uh, prior to that, it was Motorola with the Nexus 6. There was only one of those devices that was produced that year. Um, they've run the gamut from Samsung has produced them. Um, HTC has produced a Nexus in the past, so they're a little bit more familiar with the Nexus program maybe than a first-time uh, participant like Huawei, although Huawei did a great job with the 6P. So the hope is is that if the design language is any in any way similar and build quality is in any way similar to the HTC, HTC 10, this is a very good thing. Um, HTC has uh, done some very interesting things with the 10 this year and made predominantly an overall solidly packaged little phone. So the hope is, is that HTC's Nexuses will be very well designed as well. The biggest thing this year is that maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's no compromise with the smaller device. There is a very large market for folks who want a around five inch display size phone. Uh, I spent a lot of time and hands-on with the Galaxy S7 recently, and that's got a 5.1 inch uh, quad HD display. And again, Samsung hands down makes the best displays in smartphones, but they've also done some really interesting things with form factor. You really get an almost all screen phone with the Galaxy S7 and at 5.1 inches it's a really good and pocketable size. You can use that phone one handed regardless of what your size of your hands is and you're going to get you know a very good uh, user experience and that was kind of the, the slight disappointment with the 5X last year is as additional software updates were made available for it initially out of the box you didn't get a really good user experience and for the price point difference most folks unless they had a very significant pricing consideration went with the 6P because it was clearly the better phone on paper and in the real world. HTC is looking to reverse that trend and maybe just make kind of one phone but in a small size and a bigger size and that actually ends up concerning me a little bit more because I know that there are a lot of folks who may be interested in that smaller device and if there's a premium build quality that's assigned to both of those I have a fear that we may flip back to the Nexus 6 with Motorola problem and that was pricing and most people are expecting Nexuses to come 
Nexuses? Nexi? What's the correct plural? I'm not 100% sure there. I think it's Nexi. Let's go with Nexi. Most people are expecting Nexi to come with a fairly uh, aggressive price point, let's say. Uh, the 64 gig base storage in the Nexus 6P was, uh, I think, 549 uh, which is a great price for that device and, and would definitely make it a, a must recommend on our list. Uh, and the 5Xs were priced even more aggressively than that. Now, obviously, you got a reduced phone for reduced price, but that is not apparently going to be the case with HTV, HTC's devices. So if I had a concern as a Nexus fanboy, that would be my biggest concern is that there may be a, a larger premium price tag that's associated with a smaller device, which may again make it not as attractive. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I can see the fear. Like, I'm looking at it this way: the sailfish. If one plus th if one plus can make the three, right? That's Snapdragon 820, six gig of RAM, three thousand milliamp hour battery, kick butt fingerprint scanner, 1080p AMOLED screen, and they can do that for three hundred ninety nine dollars. There's no reason on planet Earth that Google should not be able to make the same phone, basically, except for with two less gig of RAM and a. Um, you know, slightly smaller battery and only 32 gig of memory instead of 64 for like 375-ish dollars. Like, I feel like the base will probably be very similar to what it was last year, which I think started at 379. I'm actually not expecting the prices to go up from where we were last year with the with the uh, 5X and the 6P. If I was going to be wrong, it, what you're saying is possible. It's possible that the base price gets bumped up because it's a higher quality phone and maybe it starts at $429 this round and that could bump up the price the more higher end one, the, the Marlin. But I don't know. I feel like Google, they surprise us because they make some weird decisions sometimes, but I feel like they basically have this right. I mean, the 5X was a good idea, but it just wasn't quite there. And they heard the fans cry for, hey, we still want a smaller phone that's still premium and they're actually doing it. So... Let's hope they don't botch the price. I, I'm I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. Also last year too, I thought the 5X was too expensive. Like at $429, there's no way if that launched at $429, I think compared to the OnePlus again, you're looking at from a value proposition standpoint going, eh, okay, it's there, but maybe not the best. Um I don't know. I, I, I just I have a feeling this year they're gonna get it right. I don't actually the design I'm not quite sure I love yet. I've seen the renders and everything and I'm 50-50 on it. But as far as the specs, like I feel like they nailed it. Like the small one is like the small Android phone that people say they've been clamoring for. With a you know, Snapdragon 820 or 821, whatever it ends up being in a 1080p AMOLED screen, that phone's gonna fly. I mean it should be like ridiculously fast. We've talked about the OnePlus 3, it's insanely fast. It should be at least that fast. Um, you're guaranteed updates for a long time. The camera's probably going to be better, I'm gonna say right off the bat. The, the little phone has a ton of potential, I'm excited. The Marlin is actually a little bit weirder for me because a 5.5 inch phone's kind of like small for a phablet a little bit. I know that sounds bizarre. Like 5.7 and above is kind of usually that territory. So I'm not sure what people are gonna say. I mean, we basically have gone from a 5.9 and 6 inch Nexus 6 to a 5.7 inch Nexus 6P and now we're going to drop down to 5.5 inch and I wonder if people will be resistant to that. I, I don't know. 
It would be, it will be uh, very interesting to see. Um, and again, the design language is kind of unusual. Um, Google has a habit of trying to go with unusual and creative styles and designs in the past, so that doesn't necessarily surprise me. But um, as with most things, you know, we freak out when we see the renders and then we get it in person and we go, eh, it's really not that bad. So that could be interesting. 5.5 uh, kind of for me is the sweet spot. If I had uh, a beef with the 6P, it's just a little bit tall and a little bit uh, too big for my taste. So a 5.5 inch display and the renders have come out showing that the Marlin could potentially be as much as five millimeters shorter and six millimeters narrower, uh, which would make it a little bit better feel, I think, in hand and not necessarily as unwieldy because it's a little bit less tall. Now we are losing the front facing speaker, so that's kind of a downer, but that also can help to reduce the overall size and footprint of the device. Uh, I owned a LG's G3, which was a 5.5 inch display. I really, really liked that size and I liked a lot of things that LG did with its form factor, but um, it just kind of is really good and pocketable uh, at that size. Um, and a 5.5 inch, especially with a smaller footprint, probably would do it for me. Um, I would have to take a long, hard look at it, but I know that there's a lot of folks who would really, really, really be interested in that 5 inch uh, sailfish device if for nothing more than the fact that again you know you're going to get the best of android you're going to get it when it's released you don't have to wait on a carrier to certify approve it and then push it out to your device and um, you know aside from from potential battery uh, life concerns which have pretty much been a concern for almost every device except for the 6p i think and the, and the nexus 6 in the last couple of years uh, the 4 uh, the 5 and the 5X all suffered from uh, some crazy battery life issues. But uh, if that is not a concern, I think we're looking at a really upgraded 5X that a lot of people are going to be really excited for. I, yeah, the Sailfish looks pretty awesome on paper. The Marlins no slouch either. Like, look, a 3450 hour battery and a Snapdragon 820, that battery life should be considerably improved from the 6P, which has the same size battery. But it has the SA10. I mean, the SA10 is a 20 nanometer chip, so it consumes quite a bit more electricity than, or I guess voltage is the right term here, than the um, 14 nanometer Snapdragon 820. So I would imagine, you know, stock Android, Snapdragon 820, plus the same battery capacity. I'm, I'm betting you'll see like, I don't know, five to 10% improvement maybe in battery life. And then the Sailfish, I'm not worried about battery there either. A Snapdragon 820 and a 2770 with a 1080p screen with a 2k screen we've seen the batteries life still be okay because the htc 10 is 3000 milliamp hour battery 3000 milliamp hours and the g5 2800 um and they both have 2k screens and they both do fine so 2770 plus 1080p stock android I think the battery life is going to be pretty solid, actually, on that phone. And that would probably be, that and the camera have been the two biggest concerns of the Nexus line for a long time now. Uh, and they finally got quite a bit right in the 6P and the 5X. Those camera modules are very, very good. And again, kind of as we've already touched upon, with the inclusion of OIS, which is really the only thing that was missing from the 5X and 6P camera module, uh, that would make it just that much sweeter, not necessarily from um, a still photos, uh, although it can help with that when you're on the move, but definitely from a video recording standpoint, OAS is almost mandatory at this point. Uh, and in the increasingly uh, video driven era that we live in, you know, a, a five inch 
phone with a 1080p screen, a great camera module with OIS, and potentially offering you know 128 gigs of storage. That's uh, that's a magnificent little performer. I'm just going to say this: unless HTC totally botches it. The Nexuses last year were the two most well-rounded Nexus phones. I would say the 6P specifically was the most well-rounded. It, it doesn't really have a weakness, right? I mean, there's always areas of improvement, but there's no real weakness. On paper, based on the leaks, based on everything I'm seeing, both of these phones are like a significant step forward from that phone. So unless there's something really weird that happens as far as like build quality or again, HTC does something really bizarre, I think these phones are gonna be hits. I mean. The phones last year were hits, and these phones are better, period. Like, looking at it, they sh- there's no reason they shouldn't be better. Quite a bit so in some ways. So, you know, again, I just said I wasn't the biggest Nexus fan on planet Earth, but I have to say both of these look like really compelling devices, and I think that Google's doing... Google has the right model here. You, the OEMs should release one, like, more normal size phone, so to speak, and then one big phone with basically the same specs with the differentiator being usually just battery and screen resolution. Like, I've always thought that should be the model for OEMs. And Apple does it, and it looks like Google's doing it this year with the Nexus, and hey, better late than never. Absolutely. When uh, when do we anticipate the launch of the Nexus as being? So the only firm date we've seen is October 4th for release. A lot of people this year were hoping that it was going to be sooner because the finished version of Nougat is supposed to be released soon, like a week or so. And I think the idea was people were thinking, well... You know, maybe we'll get a release sometime in September with an announcement, maybe like very early September or late August. But it's still looking like it's going to be an early October release. I haven't seen anything that says otherwise. The last few days, though, there's been a flurry of activity as far as like devices being spotted in the wild and leaked. So we, I think it's safe to say we're getting closer. Much closer, I would imagine. And uh, as any additional developments come up, of course, you'll be able to hear our thoughts and views on it over at SiliconTheory.com. Uh, anything else that we need to cover in the rumor roundup that you can think of? No, yeah, there's not. After this, like it's going to be a quiet year. Um, there's like nothing as far as tablets are concerned. <laughs> still, there, there's some talk that Samsung might release uh, the Tab S3, and they're going to bring out their new um, Gear S3. So they're going to bring a new smartwatch out at IFA in about I don't know early. I think early September. So there are some other things coming down the line, but. Things really after after the next is like kind of the last thing this year. After that, it's going to be slow, and then we'll do the build up to the you know Galaxy S8 with the 4K screen, and yeah, that'll be next. Laser holographic technology, probably. So. Sure. That's uh, that's it for the Rumor Roundup, guys. We uh, appreciate you listening. As always, you can check us out at silicontheory.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Silicon Theory. And uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, guys.